0: How's everybody doing? That's good, yes. Good to see you guys. Hey, I wanted to personally thank you guys. If you volunteered at the community camp this last week, if you were one of the, the people that volunteered for that, I just want to tell you thank you. If you've ever been here for one of our community camps, it's like VBS, right? It's, uh, the church becomes an absolute madhouse, but I, I love it. And um, I get to be in, like, serious meetings all week, and we're talking about, you know, serious stuff, and, like, a pack of wild children run by my office, like, screaming, and, uh, that's Corey's office, and they, like, scream by, you know, and uh, it's good times, though. Lots of energy around here. I enjoy that. And then we send, uh, so we do that one week, and then we have all of our middle school kids leaving to go to camp at New Frontiers this week coming up. So basically none of my, like, children's staff sleeps for, like, two weeks solid, so... Um, Anyways, if you help with any of that, thank you so much. It's a great thing you're doing, and um, it's, a, it's such a big deal in these kids' lives. So thank you. Um, oh, so let me tell you what we're doing today. So we're going to start the book of First Timothy next week. We're going to go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then I'm going to do the book of Ecclesiastes. I've never taught any of those books, um, so I'm going to go through all three of those. Ecclesiastes is fun. Chapter 1 is fun when you have this guy who's like, I had it all and it sucked, right? Like, that's how, that's how Ecclesiastes opens up, and it's fantastic. So um, we'll get into 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We'll get into Ecclesiastes. That'll be really, really cool. But the reason why I'm going to teach on kind of the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian is 1st and 2nd Timothy are a lot of fundamentals. It talks about how men should act, women, leaders, congregants, elders, deacons, like all kinds of people, how our reputation should be good with non-believers. Basically all the essentials of how we are to live Christian lives. So, before we get into that, I wanted to kind of briefly touch on what does it mean to be a Christian? What are some fundamentals of how a Christian should live and what they should be doing? And so that's what we're gonna get into a little bit today to kind of launch into these next three books that are uh, um, sometimes pretty controversial and pretty hard-hitting, but it'll be a lot of fun. So you should have walked in and got a notes handout. Has everything I'm gonna talk about in it. Don't read it all yet. That kind of spoils it, doesn't it? So everything will be on the screens. (laughs) And um, if you have a smartphone If you download the Experience Community app, click on service times and sermon notes, and everything is right there. Extremely handy. Everyone's good, right? Right? We're in a nice air-conditioned building. I think the sun's shining outside, right? I haven't been out there in a while. So uh, life is good. It's summer. It's good. Okay. All right. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this. And By the end of this, you're going to be happy and smiling and more vocal. All right? Thank you. All right. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, Um, on all serious notes, God, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can be in this place right now talking about you freely, that we have the freedom and the luxury, God, to be able to sit in a nice place and, um, and just discuss your word. Thank you. God, thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for all the people who serve in this church and give their time and and resources, God. And and I pray that you bless them, Lord. And bless everyone who has come to hear your word today, God, who's looking for the truth. God, we pray, Lord, that you bless not just our church, but every church in our city, every church in our community. God, bless all the great nonprofits we work with and uh, keep your hand on them and give them what they need, Lord, to succeed and, and bless our city. And we pray that everything we do today, that it sharpens us, And God, we also pray that everything we do today honors you and um, ultimately brings all the attention to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Bless all of us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever said this, if you've ever heard this, if anyone's ever said it to you, I've said this. We often sometimes say, if I just had more time, I would accomplish X, whatever X is, right? our neighbor pulls up and they got a brand new car or you know they've added on to their house and they're like, if I just had more time, I would do that or I would make the money to do that or you have your friends that are Bible scholars and you're like, if I just had more time, I would know more Greek and Hebrew or all these different things that we make excuses of. Now, here's the thing about time. Unless you live on a planet that's further away from the sun than Earth, we all have the same amount of time in a day, all of us. We all have 24 hours. The problem isn't how much time all of us in this room have because we all have the same amount of time. The problem is what we choose to do with that time. And what we do with that time will either increase or decrease our success or our knowledge or our education level or our physical health or biblical knowledge or our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse or our kids or people around us. It's not that anyone else has more time than you. It's that maybe they have done a better job at prioritizing their time. So let's talk about time management. The Wall Street Journal did a study on the average working American and what they do with their 24 hours. So the average working American does about eight and a half hours a day of personal care. Most of that is sleep. For some of us, that's like six hours. For some of us, that's 12 hours, which probably leads to other problems in this list. But for different ones of us, right, there is this personal care, but most of us about eight and a half hours a day. Most of us work about eight hours a day, usually a little bit more than that, eight hours and some change, or some of us might work 10 hours a day. Some of us work, right? And we work on average about eight hours a day. Here's one that I want you to take note of, though. The average America spends almost three and a half hours a day watching TV on their phone or doing some other kind of leisure, right? Basically mindless activity, right? We do that about three and a half hours a day. We spend a little less than two hours a day eating. That's probably most of your lunch break and your dinner. We spend a little bit more than an hour doing chores, a half hour shopping. You guys are like, no one does that. I thought that too, right? And then I find out how much I'm on Facebook Marketplace looking at garbage. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm one of those half hour shopping people, right, even though I don't buy anything. We spend a little less than a half hour a day helping family. And look at this last one. 0.14 hours a day doing something religious or civic, which means we help other people. You know what that equates to? Eight and a half minutes a day. That we do something religious, spiritual, or helping other people. So this service today will be about an hour and a half, right? Divide that by seven. You're spending more time just coming to service once a week than the average American spends, if you break it down over seven days, doing something religious, Or civic, eight and a half minutes compared to three and a half hours of TV, phone, leisure time, right? So, this is how we spend our day. This is why we don't get more things done than what we should. And so, here's the thing though about God God talks about time management in the Bible. Well, we'll get to that here in a second. And God is not ridiculous with his expectations of us. So, the Lord knows that you need to sleep, the Lord knows that you need to eat. Man, God even knows that sometimes you need to veg out in front of the TV for an hour. God knows these things. He knows that you need to spend time with your family and do chores and work, all of those things. But what God asks us to do is to put him above those things so we can do those things better. We can have better sleep when we have the Prince of Peace inside of us. We go to bed easier, right? We have better relationships with our family and our wives and our husbands and things like that. When we have a relationship and put God first, we do all those things better. We work better, we serve better. Our time with God goes up. But the problem with a lot of us in this room is if we're honest with ourselves, we don't trust God with our lives, so we take our lives into our own hands. We think that we can find contentment for ourselves and so we put God as the last thing we do if we do it at all and we put all these things in front of him. Like I said, Jesus talks about time management in the book of Matthew. He says this, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink or what you're gonna wear. He says, idol worshipers do that People who are materialistic, who, who just focus on their house and their car and the fancy restaurants they're going to go to. The idol worshipers worry about all that kind of stuff. And he says, but look, I know that you need to eat. God knows you need to eat. He knows you need to get dressed. He knows that you need to buy clothes for your family. God knows. Your father knows. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be taken care of. He's saying, put your priorities in the proper place put them in the proper place. And so what we're going to have to do today is we're going to have to ask, ask ourselves a couple of hard questions. The first one is we have to be honest, what is the most important thing in your life honestly? I know what a lot of you say, right or at least what your Facebook say, Jesus Christ is the most important thing in your life. But here's what I can do with anyone in your room in, in the room including myself If I say God is the most important thing in my life, and I look at how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I spend my energy, and if none of those things point towards Jesus Christ, he is not the most important thing in my life. Because where a man's heart is, or where a woman's treasure is, your heart will be also. So the question isn't, do we have enough time, or you know, how many hours are in a day if or I just had more time? That's not the real question. The question is, what do we invest in in that 24 hours? So again, let's lead into another question. I'm gonna ask all of you this today. You don't need to shout out and answer anything. You just need to say it to yourself. Do you really want to pursue Jesus Christ? If you're in this room and you're not a believer, let me ask it a different way. Do you really wanna know the answers? Are you pursuing the truth? Now, if the answer is no to this question, if you're not pursuing God, if you don't wanna grow your relationship with God, if you're not looking for the answers, if you're not seeking for the truth, if the answer is no, you are more than welcome right now to pull out your phones and get on Facebook or zone out and do something else because the next 30 minutes is just gonna be a waste of your time. You're not gonna like any of it, right? If you say yes, though, to this question, I do want to know Christ better, I genuinely want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Or if you're in here and you're not a Christian, but you are genuinely looking for the answers, if the answer is yes to this, the process by which we get closer to God is not overtly complicated. I'm gonna completely underwhelm you today. I'm gonna say a bunch of stuff that you already know, starting with the first one. You need to be at church. The first step to growing closer to God is you have to be here. Corey, I have to be at church. Yes, you have to be at church. The New York Times did a story on church attendance. The New York Times, right? And this author from the New York Times said one of the most scientific, striking scientific discoveries is that going to church weekly is good for you. Attendance boosts the immune system, decreases blood pressure. It may add two or three years to your life. I like this, but the reason is not entirely clear. (laughs) So look, the point of this is not to say if you come to church, your blood pressure is going to go down. I say if you volunteer with kids, it's probably going to have the opposite effect, right? (laughs) If you get called into full-time ministry, you can shave off a couple of years. So... (laughs) But that's not the point. The point is people that go to church on a regular basis feel better. They live better. They have more vitality. They're healthier mentally, physically even, and of course, spiritually. So that's the point of this study. But what I often hear, oddly enough, from people who claim to be Christians is they say, I don't have to attend church, right? A good Christian doesn't have to go to church. Now listen, whenever someone says that to me, I can be a Christian and not go to church, I always hand them a Bible and say, show me that scripture in here. I can't find it. I've read the Bible several times, taught the Bible almost all the way through. Show me where that scripture is. I cannot find a passage that says you can follow God and not go to a weekly worship service. I can't find it. I can show you Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Acts 2 and 9, Matthew 16, Hebrews chapter 10 where it shows, as Hebrew 10 is about to, is about to show us, very plainly that going to a weekly worship gathering is a commandment from God. Look at what it says here. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from worship meetings as some of you habitually do. Look at the next line. It says we should be in church even more the closer that Christ's coming is. I don't know if you guys know this, but every day that passes, we are closer to Christ coming back. And so every single day that passes... Church needs to be even greater of a priority. Why? Because the world is insane and keeps getting more insane. So we need the sanctuary and community and camaraderie of the local church. Now, in my experience, had 10 years of it now as a senior pastor, my experience as a pastor, when a lot of people come into my office, not all of them, but a lot of them come into my office whenever life is falling apart, I will typically ask, are you at church? And probably nine times out of 10, they'll say, not as much as I should be. No, I haven't been at church in a while. There's always a parallel between struggles and loneliness and hardships in your life and church attendance. Now, does that mean going to church isolates you from ever having struggles? Absolutely not. The difference is when you come to church and you struggle, you have people around you to walk with you in that struggle. You have people to get under that weight. You have people to walk that out with you. You have people to pray with you. You have even people who will help you financially and help you. Right now, we have a guy at the church who had a big tree fall down in his yard. And a bunch of men from the church get together with their chainsaws because men like to do such things. And they're going to saw down this tree and like take it and haul it all off. But if you don't have a church home, you don't have that around you. So when tough times hit, you have community. You need that. Another thing I often hear as well, I've been struggling. That's why I haven't come to church. And I'm like, That's why the church exists, right? The church doesn't exist for perfect people. It exists for imperfect people. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. Bring me your sick. So if you're struggling with porn or if you're cheating or lying or stealing or or whatever the case may be, be here. Not just on the weekends, be in celebrate recovery, be in a small group, be with the counselor, be here more. Don't stay away because you're messed up. Be here. You need the environment. You need the fellowship. You need the safety, the positivity. You need this place, okay? The second thing, right? First one is you need to be at church. Second one is you have to pray. You have to pray. The University of Wisconsin did a study on prayer. Now, these again, this is not a Christian institution. This is not by Christian sociologists. But in 2010, the University of Wisconsin wrote this. Those who choose to pray find comfort during hard times. 75% of people who pray on a weekly basis are able to manage a range of negative situations and emotions. They're able to navigate illness, sadness, trauma, and anger. But how they find relief has gone unconsidered by researchers. Look at what this says. It doesn't say that 75% of all people who take a certain kind of drug instantly find relief from their depression or anxiety. It says that people that pray on a weekly basis, once a week, 75%, three out of four, find help and can navigate life's problems without anything else external, that they can do that. So often we run to external things when we should be praying. And this isn't a biblical like report, this isn't scripture, this is from sociologists at the University of Wisconsin. But look at what God says. So often we run in confusion and we don't know where to go and we don't know what to do and we don't know how to raise our kids and we don't know how to handle our spouse or whatever the case may be. We don't know if we should move or take this job or whatever. And God said to Jeremiah, if you'll call to me, I will answer you and I will tell you incomprehensible things. Things you don't know. So, if we would take time to talk to God, God will show us what we should do. He'll tell us where to go and what to do and how to lead our families and how to raise our children and how to spend our money. The Bible will do that too, but we'll get to that here in a second. But prayer will help us do those things if we will just call out to Him. The disciples of Christ were terrified to go out without Him. But what did Jesus tell them? He said, If you'll just pray to God the Father, He'll give you the words. He'll tell you what to say. He'll help you in those tough situations. So why should we pray, right? Why should you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, pray? One, if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to have a relationship with God. When you have a relationship with someone that you love, you should talk to them. If you're married to your spouse, you need to talk. The breakdown of every marriage, it may manifest itself in different ways, but it always boils down to communication. The breakdown in our relationship with God boils down to the same thing, a lack of communication. We have to talk to God. Prayer is also our time to confess. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I encourage all of you to pray out loud. I'm not saying you should like scream and shout, I've been addicted to porn, God. Don't do that at work or anything. That might be bad. (laughs) But I think you should pray in such a manner to where you can hear yourself speak because there is liberation in confession. The Bible says to confess, and that frees us. There's healing that comes by letting it out, by speaking it. Prayer also humbles us. When we're praying to God, we're acknowledging that he's in control, and we're not. We're saying, you're the one that can fix it, not me. Prayer humbles us. It reminds us who's in charge. Of course, prayer is how we ask for things, right? This is how if we need help with something, if we need guidance, if we need encouragement, if we need some kind of financial help or something like that, we ask God for those things. If we don't ask, we don't receive. That's what the Bible says, you have not because you've asked not. Prayer is also our way to intercede for other people. I don't always have money to give my neighbor. I don't always even have time to give my neighbor or the resources or the know-how to help my neighbor, but I can pray for my neighbor. I can intercede for them. You may come up to me after service and say, I have a cousin in you know, Florida that, that has cancer, and though I've never met this cousin, though I've, I probably will never meet them. We can intercede. We can pray together for that person. And then praying helps us learn the will of God. How? In prayer, we should talk to God and we should also listen for God to speak. And he will give us direction. We can learn God's will. God, what is your will? Show me your will. And if we build a relationship with him, he will tell us his will. So how should we pray? We need to pray with the right attitudes. We need to pray for God's will. We need to pray for proper motives, with proper motives. We need to pray with humility. You gotta remember, you're not talking to Santa Claus, you're talking to the creator of the universe. You don't look at God and say, hey, God, I need this, 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 and this, and I need it next week. Okay, I've been good. Come on. That's not the way we talk to God. We pray for God's will, what God wants for our lives. It's not just writing a letter to Santa Claus and getting whatever we ask for. It's not what that is. So if you want to take prayer seriously, let me give you a couple of pieces of of maybe advice and, and some instruction on how to pray. Like I said, I think you should pray out loud. There's something liberating and free about speaking these things. I think you should also pray with intentionality. If you have to, write out your prayers. Make four blocks, things you're thankful for, things to repent for, other people, and then yourself. Fill in those blocks and pray it and see if God doesn't start to answer those things. Read about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. I believe it's in Matthew chapter six. Read about the Lord's Prayer and model your prayers after that schedule a time to pray. Put it on your calendar. Every single morning, mine is 7.30. I get here a half hour early. Work starts at eight. I get here at 7.30. I go in my office. I pray for 15 minutes, and I read my Bible for 15 minutes, and it is not that laborious. It's not a huge stress. It doesn't cut into my day too much. Schedule some time to pray. Also, find casual times throughout the day to pray. The Bible says in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean at work, you're on your knees like for eight hours, like your boss is gonna, hey, do some work. No, Corey told me to pray without ceasing, right? That's not what that means. But it means that casually throughout the day, you should say prayers to God. Now here's the last one, and, and sometimes people don't like to hear this. The reason why a lot of our prayers are not effective is because we're not living righteously. We're not living the way God wants us to live. The Bible says this, the urgent request of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. So, some people say, Well, I don't believe God ever answers my prayers. Well, God may need to deal with some unrepentant sin before He can get to your prayer request. If you're watching porn every single night and you're wondering why God won't answer your prayers, God wants to deal with that porn addiction so your soul's not lost before He can get to your other prayers. He needs to get to that root problem first, right? So, the reason why some of our prayers don't get answered is because we're not living the way God wants us to live. You knew it was coming. Step three is you need to read your Bible. You have to read your Bible. This book is the mind of God on paper. I cannot even begin to tell you how important this book is. This book is not just the mind of God on paper, not only the inspired word of God, it is intended to shape how we live. It teaches us, it rebukes and corrects us, it encourages us, it tells us how to raise our children how to treat our husbands and wives. It tells us how to live under oppressive, corrupt governments. It tells us how to function in business. It tells us how to walk in every single arena in life. On top of that, this is the epic story of the relationship between humanity and the creator. Why would you not pick this up? Why would you not read this thing? And oftentimes the reason why people say they don't want to read it or they haven't read it is they say it's intimidating. Well, heck yes, it's intimidating. It's the only book written by God delivered to mankind. It should be an intimidating book. It's the most powerful set of words ever put on paper. That's pretty intimidating, yes, but that should not stop you from reading it. The reason why I had the picture of the elephant up there is people ask, how do you read the Bible? And I said, the same way you eat an elephant, right? one bite at a time. Start small, but just keep on chewing. If you're a new Christian in here and you're like, Corey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to read it. Start in the book of Matthew, New Testament, the book of Matthew. Read about the life of Christ. Skip the next three books and then just go into Acts and start, start continuing on. Then you can go back and read Mark and Luke and John. You can go back and read them later. If you're, if you're super brave in here, go to the very beginning and start in the book of Genesis. Now, don't, lightning's not gonna strike me. God's okay with what I'm about to say. You can skim over Leviticus. You can skim over Numbers a little bit in the genealogies, it's okay. And then you can go back and read those things later. But get the gist of the story, right? Just kind of work your way through it and get the gist of the story. Let me tell you how good of a person I am. <laughs> the first time I read the Bible from cover to cover, it was a King James Version. Yeah, there's like an extra story on my mansion in heaven right now. I'm convinced of this, right? If you have read the King James Version all the way through, we're going to live on the same block, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be a really nice avenue in heaven. So whenever people say, I can't do it, I'm like, believe me, you can. So that leads me to the next part. People ask, what is the best translation? You know what my answer for that is? The one that you will read. Whichever translation you will pick up and read, knock, like, knock yourself out. That's what you need to get, okay? Besides some heretical cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, you can pick up virtually any translation and all the scholars say it essentially says the exact same thing. They're not, I mean, people get so hung up on that stuff. If you will read it, please read it. Find one that works for you. Look, I read the CSB Study Bible. You can go to the Christian Publishers Outlet, get this big old Bible with the fancy little gold stuff on the outside. It's got all the commentary and pictures, and I think it's about 35 bucks. Corey, I can't afford 35 bucks. You got a $1,200 cell phone in your pocket right now. All right, I'll just move on. Sorry. Sorry about that, guys. Now let me go back. I forgot one thing. And whenever people... (laughs) You're the 11 o'clock we have all day. And so whenever... (laughs) Whenever people say, well, I'm just not a reader, you should learn to be a reader, right? You should learn to do that. Well, I just can't do it. Well, do you have a commute to work? Look, this is the era we live in. You can download version for free, and it will read it to you. You can hook it up in your car, and it will read you the Bible. This is amazing, right? You can get it on CD. I remember my, my mother bought Alicia and I a, a copy of the entire Bible on CD, narrated by Morgan Freeman. How good is that? (laughs) Genesis 1 and 2 by Morgan Freeman, it doesn't get any better than that. And my wife listened to the entire thing when she was still working. She listened to the entire thing on CD. Find a way to get the Bible in you, okay? The fourth thing is you need community. You have to have community. We are not meant to do this alone. Even God, the makeup of God, is a perfect community. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, And we are made in the image of God, which means we are made to be communal. All throughout the Bible, you see people doing life together. You even see Jesus was in a small group, right? Him and his 12. Small groups that intentionally meet on a regular basis. They foster confession, which means you have someone to share your faults with, your addictions, your struggles with. It fosters encouragement. You have people to lift you up when times get tough. It attracts the Holy Spirit You learn to love better. You learn to be more empathetic. Look at what Jesus says. For where two or more gathered together in my name, I'm there among them. Now listen, that doesn't take the place of what we're doing now. This is a different thing. But if you're going to grow deep, you have to find some people to grow with. That can be through our life groups. We have like 85 life groups at this church. That's not an exaggeration. You can get involved in a life group, a home group, a serving group, celebrate recovery. Or you can just get together with a couple of your girlfriends and read a book and meet once a week and hold each other accountable. You can get together with a couple of your guy friends before work. We have groups here that aren't even official groups in our church, a bunch of guys who will get together and they'll work out in the morning and then do like a 30-minute Bible study. Do that. The point is to be held accountable. The point is to be transparent with other Christians. The point is, is when the junk hits the fan, you have other brothers and sisters to help you catch that weight and hold it up. You have to walk with other people. It is so vitally important. So many people look to this for their community, and that is not the intention of what we're doing right now. It's kind of hard to get to know people in this setting right? We have almost 4,000 people that come to this church. Each service has roughly 1,000 people in it. You're not going to have like deep relationships built in this environment. It just doesn't, and it's not intended to. When you get into the Bible, it says that they met on the weekends and the synagogues, and they met at each other's homes during the weeks, during the week. So when we do this, the point of what we're doing right now is to hear teaching, to have worship, and to take communion. That's the point of the weekend service. That's what we do, It's when you have those relationships outside of this building, when you have those small groups, that's where you go deep and that's where you build deep relationships and you really get stronger, okay? The last thing is this, come to church, pray, read your Bible, get into community, and then the last thing is this, we are called to give back. Again, not from a Christian publication, this is from Psychology Today, Dr. Rick Hansen wrote this. He said, at this time in human history, when people feel increasingly stressed and isolated, when relationships stand on shaky ground, and when international conflicts are fueled by dwindling resources, benevolence is not just moral, it's essential. What does that mean? So we sponsor an organization called Endure Athletics, right? The, the founders of that, they come to the church here. We've worked with them for, for years now, and we're highlighting them this month. Endure Athletics works with homeless children in your city. It's not just a good thing for us to give financially to them. We have to do it. If we don't do it, these children will repeat the mistakes that they've been witness to, that they, that they have seen. They will not only be fatherless, they will leave their children fatherless and motherless. And, They'll get addicted to drugs and they won't finish high school and they will go down a path that is destructive unless the church steps in and not just morally supports people, financially supports them, gets behind them with our time and our energy and our resources. It's not just a good thing to do. We have to do it. We have to do it. It's imperative. Christians are called to give. God calls us to give all throughout the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, giving is a huge part of the word of god not just financial giving no that is part of it we're to give with our works our service we're to give our time yes we are to give financially and we're to use our talents our giftings the things that god has blessed us with that we're good at we're to use those things for the kingdom now here's the thing and i said this last week at the baptism service is that we are just stewards Everything we have, we have not earned it. It's not ours. It belongs to God. But God trusts us, not just with our money, but with, finance or with, uh, uh, with our talents and abilities and our time. Everything is borrowed from God, and we are called to manage it. And that shouldn't be a legalistic thing. Do I have to tithe? Do I have to give? It shouldn't be socialistic. This should be a natural response from a Christian who has been saved by grace. If we have been saved by grace and we understand the work of the cross, we should want to bless others. We should want to help those who are hurting. How do we do that? The first one is you just need to be nice to people. Well, Corey, I don't agree with how they live. It doesn't matter. Be kind to them. They're never going Listen, no one is going to come to a religion based on a God that is love if you hate people. Well, we don't. Ag- well, I don't agree with the Muslim. Well, I don't agree with the gay community. That's fine. You don't have to agree with them, but you gotta love them. You gotta love them, and you have to treat them with respect and dignity. You have to be kind. Christians should be the best tippers. Those poor girls at Sonic make like two fifty an hour. Tip those girls. Don't go to Sonic unless you have some cash, right? Don't do it. Tip people well. Well, I gave them 15%. Give them 25%. It's an extra buck 50, right? We should be the best tippers. We should be gracious. Buy someone a cup of coffee next time you're in Just Love or Starbucks. Blow their minds, right? I love it. Someone will be in front of me and I'll get a hold of like the barista and I'm like, I'm gonna get theirs. And then they walk up and they pull out their, their card or their money and hey, someone got yours. And they're just like, <gasps> I mean, you think people are gonna die, right? It's three bucks, but that shows how unfriendly society is. People should be buying people's coffee all the time. Next time you're in line at the drive-thru at Starbucks, say, hey, I'm gonna get the car behind me too. Just, and then just watch them when they pull up. People just are freaked out. It's worth the three or five bucks just to see how freaked out people get. <laughs> buy your office donuts. Don't buy this office donuts. <laughs> buy your office donuts. We have way too many donuts around here. Buy someone else donuts, not me. It's starting to show, right? (laughs) (laughs) But buy your office donuts. Man, you can get a dozen donuts at at Donut Country. Praise God for Donut Country. For less than 10 bucks, right? Amen, Donut Country. All right. (laughs) Sacrifice your time. Block off some time to volunteer at the church. Man, I'll tell you what, when you volunteer and give your time, you know who it really blesses? You. It really blesses you. It blesses other people as well, but it'll change your heart. Volunteer at your school. Get this. Instead of constantly bashing on the public school system, why don't you jump in and help? Get on the PTO, right? Man, my, ch- my kid's school, wish they could get their act together. Why don't you jump in there and help them? Help them get their act together. Why don't you volunteer at some different events? Volunteer at some nonprofits. Man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, you're watching TV for three hours a day. Do something about it. Go volunteer, go serve somewhere. Give financially. Listen, I don't know who gives at this church. I don't ever look at those records. I don't wanna look at those records. In my life, I have always tithed. Ever since I knew what tithing was, I was 23 years old. I found out what tithing was and I was like, oh, got it. Jesus saved my soul. I can give him 10% of my paycheck. And I've always done that. And let me tell you about tithing in my personal life. I have never had excess, never had excess, right? But I have always had enough. God has always taken care of me. He has always blessed my family and he has provided for us in miraculous ways, right? Any of you in this room who are faithfully tithing, you have stories about how God has blessed you. If you do not tithe, listen, this is not a shame or guilt thing. You're shorting your own self. You're short, you can live better on 90% than you can ever live on 100%, ever, ever, ever. Not just that, listen, if you tithe, I also recommend you give to some nonprofit. Listen, let me tell you again, just my life, so you don't think I'm picking on you. God worked on me. About four years ago, I was praying, and God said that you need to pick a couple of nonprofits and give to them every month, right? Just do the recurring giving thing. So we started giving to Charity Water, which does different water uh, initiatives all over the world. I think we give them 50 bucks a month, and they're a fantastic organization. And then we started sponsoring a child. We sponsor one through Mentor Leaders. Now, when I was going through that time, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, that's $88 a month. That's a lot of money. Now, I'm a ritualistic person. I do things the same all the time. Something I do every single day is I go to lunch at 11 o'clock. You can ask any of my staff, 11 o'clock, it's lunch hour. I go, I get my lunch, I go through the drive-thru at the Old Fort Starbucks, and I get a grande iced coffee with one sweet and low and light cream every single day. It's $3.02. Multiply that by 30 days, that's 90 bucks. You know what God said to me? If you can spend 90 bucks on coffee, you can spend 88 bucks on changing people's lives. For $38 a month, I can give to mentor leaders and that gives a child health care, and education. It clothes them and feeds them. All of us in this room can sacrifice something and change a kid's life. We can all do that. I can't afford it let me go back to the $1,200 cell phone. All right, we won't, okay? The last thing is, is we all have talents. Some of you in this room are fantastic carpenters or painters. Some of you are fantastic with masonry work. Some of you are real artists and singers. And some of you just have strong backs and you can work. And God has given all of us some kind of skill and talent. So let me ask you, are you using that for the kingdom of God? Well, Corey, all I can do is swing a hammer. Go to Habitat for Humanity and help them build a house, right? Help them do something for the kingdom, right? All of us have been given talents and abilities. So let me wrap this up. I got two slides and we're done. This life is tough. The runners in here, which I am not one, if you've ever run a marathon, talk to a marathon runner sometime. Ask them what mile 18, 19 feels like, right? Right? It's unbelievably hard. I had a friend that ran the Boston Marathon a couple years in a row, and he would say he would hit mile 1920 and he'd start seeing stuff that wasn't there. And I'm like, that's fun? Like, (laughs) but the way the Bible talks about life is it says life is a marathon. It's hard. It's grueling. It takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication. So here's the thing. Regardless of what's happening in this marathon, listen. I'm not just saying this so you'll be here. If you don't like me, if you don't like Kyle or this built, find a church and you need to be there. For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your own soul, please be at church. You need church. You need it. You also need to pray. Every day? Yes, every single day. Find 15 minutes, guys, 15 minutes. Block it off. On your commute to Nashville, you have more than enough time, right? On your commute to Nashville, turn the radio off and talk to God. People are going to think I'm crazy. Everyone's crazy, right? Turn off your radio and just talk to God for a little bit, okay? You can tell your friends it's the hands free law that's passing. You know, I'm on a phone call with Jesus. (laughs) Read your Bible. Pick one up. This is the greatest investment you'll probably ever make financially. Again, you can get this big, nice, fancy CSB. It's easy to read. It's got all the commentary stuff in it. About 35 bucks. Pick one of those up. Read it in small chunks. If you read three chapters a day, you'll go through the entire Bible in one year. That's not much. It's not hard. It's not hard. Please start start chipping away at that. Find a community. Even if it's not one of our official groups that's on the app, they're all on the app, Even if it's not one of our official groups, meet together. Go talk to Andrew and say, hey, what does it mean to start a group? Can I start one? Can I be in one? Get into some kind of community and please give back. Give back because God has blessed us. We are to bless others and bring more people into the kingdom of God. Give back. Last slide. Listen, you will never build a good relationship accidentally. If you talk to someone that's been married for 40 years, they're like, we don't know what we did. 40 years passed and I don't know. No, they knew what they did. There are certain things that that make a marriage last for four decades. It's done on purpose. It's done with intentionality. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. You're not just gonna wake up one day and be like, wow, Jesus, you and I are super tight, right? No, it's gonna be done on purpose. You have to set aside time. You have to pray. You have to read the word. You have to be honest with God. He already knows everything anyways. You might as well be honest and talk to him about it. You have to do it on purpose. Put it in your calendar. Schedule out time. Make it a priority. And the last thing is this. I often hear people say, well, I just didn't get anything out of it. If we give a mediocre attempt, you're only going to get mediocre results. If you only give it a half-butt approach, you're only going to get that back, right? (laughs) Trying, guys. (laughs) Thanks. Cleaning it up a little bit. But it's an interesting thing. This isn't really true. You don't get out of it what you put into it. What happens is this. If we give God 100%, he always outgives us. The Bible says that when we take a step towards him, he takes a step towards us. God's stride is significantly larger than ours. When we move towards him, he gets real close to us and he starts changing the way we think he changes the way we act. He changes the way we look at people. He changes the way we speak to our spouse or our loved ones. He changes the way we work. He changes the way we view the lost. He changes the way we interact with others. It makes it easier for us to give and easier for us to serve and easier for us to make Bible reading and prayer time a priority. When we draw close to him, he draws so close to us and he absolutely changes everything in a good way. I encourage you, listen, give it your all. It's five simple steps. Give it your all and see if God doesn't absolutely change your life. Absolutely change your life, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Next week, we'll get into 1 Timothy. We'll be in that for a month or two. We'll get into 2 Timothy, move on to Ecclesiastes. Be a fun rest of the year. If you're in this room and maybe you're new or maybe you're on the fence or man, maybe you're just like, I don't know what's up with the whole God thing. Greg is up here to my right, your left. He's at the front corner of the stage. If you have any questions for Greg, if you wanna talk with him, if maybe you wanna set an appointment to get some coffee with him one day, you are more than welcome to come up here and talk to Greg. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, just like I said earlier, when any two or three are gathered in my name, God is right there. Don't do this alone. If you have things that you need prayer for, if it's something big or something small, whatever the case may be, do not do it alone. Let someone pray with you, walk with you. The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table is the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the wine. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you touch every heart in this room. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who is genuinely seeking the truth, Father, encourage them, and I pray that you start to give them the answers they're looking for. If there's anyone in this room, God, who may have been mediocre in their attempt, God, maybe they haven't been faithful with church or prayer or Bible or giving or any of these things, God, Lord, I pray that you just encourage them to give it 100%, God, and Lord, let them know that you're going to bless them, you're going to take care of them. Father, I pray that you protect everyone in this room, strengthen us, God, and Lord, I pray, God, that we just continue to grow closer to you. Bless our community through us, bless our families and our relationships, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.